Welcome to the Brew News Podcast, a chance to go a little bit deeper behind the breweries of your favorite beers and learn about new breweries from around the world. We will be exploring the history and beers of craft brewers and hope to showcase the amazing talent and variety found within the craft beer community, both in the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings, joined by my co-host, Travis Matherly, and today we will be focusing on Wicked Weed Brewing. Before we get started, we do want to mention we will spend some time highlighting breweries from our home state of North Carolina, starting in the mountains of Appalachia and winding our way down to the Outer Banks. But don't worry, we will also be covering breweries from other states and countries as well. So, Andrew, what was your first experience with Wicked Weed Brewing? I don't remember. I think, I, I'm pretty sure it was Freak of Nature or Pernicious. It was one of the two IPAs. Um, mm-hmm. This was, of course, long before they sold out, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, but this was probably back in oh, 2015, maybe, 2014, something like that, uh, a couple of years ago. Um, since then, I've been to the brewery. That was a lot of fun their main brew pub so that was really one of the things that solidified me on wicked weed because of their sheer variety that they had of, of just strangeness yeah uh, like you said i don't i can't honestly remember the first time i ever had wicked weed but i want to say my first experience was actually one of their sours and that was before i was into sour beers so that kind of threw me for a loop but then you get into freak of nature and pernicious mm-hmm. which we'll touch on later in the episode and they did have a very good IPA portfolio. And like you said, the brew pub features a lot of unique beers that you can't get yeah. anywhere else except the brew pub. Yeah, I think what really got me on Wicked Weed was uh, you and another one of our friends, LV, always, he was always talking about it. He loved it. Um, so that's really how I got into Wicked Weed in the first place. Yeah, I think uh, I can credit LV with putting me onto Wicked Weed as well. So <laughs> Now let's get into the... History of Wicked Weed Brewing. Wicked Weed is another brewery based in Asheville, North Carolina, like Highlands, which we featured in our last episode. Their original spot was 91 Biltmore Avenue in Asheville, and now they've expanded to four locations, two of which are solely for brewing and storage slash distribution. Uh, The main brew pub is located in downtown Asheville next to a, I believe it's a concert, the Orange Peel. Uh, yes. And the Funkatorium is close to the Orange Peel as well. I don't think it's right next to the Orange Peel, but it's right, right over there. Yeah. So it was founded in 2011 by Walt and Luke Dickinson and Ryan, Rick, and Dennis Guthy. That's Denise. Denise. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is my problem. That's my mistake for writing that. But yeah, uh, Ryan, Ryan, Walt, and Luke were all young. Rick and Denise are Ryan's parents. Ah, uh-huh. I did not know that. Um, their original focus was supposed to be solely on big West Coast IPAs and authentic Belgian ales, which I think that's interesting because they still have a good um, portfolio of IPAs, but I don't think there's anything authentic about their Belgian ales these days. No, they kind of have their own house strain of yeast and uh, yeah. fermentation that they go with, and you can tell it's a wicked weed beer because oh, they yeah. use the same one in every single sour program that they do. So the part, the, the more recent history with, uh, I guess you can say recent, it's a very young brewery. Ultimately it's only, uh, what, seven years old. Um, but in 2017, they sold out to Anheuser-Busch InBev, uh, to be, to join the high end portfolio of InBev. So this includes a couple other breweries like Goose Island, um, and Wicked Weed. They all sold to InBev and now, they can produce a lot more beer, um, but there's some other issues there. There was actually a lot of backlash 
when that happened specifically in North Carolina, um, about from the craft beer brewing community, um, a lot of customers, a lot of bottle shops, stores stopped selling wicked weed. They took their wicked weed, put it, what did you say? One place they took their wicked weed, put it out on the floor and said, please take. Yeah. And, um, my brother-in-law works at a bottle shop in Raleigh and they had an entire stand dedicated to wicked weed. Their customers were raising a absolute hell about it. And so they removed their entire stand. We're trying to give away the, the wicked weed stands and bottle shops were always this half barrel with like three shelves in mm-hmm. it and a huge iron wicked weed sign on the top of it. And they were trying to give the barrel sign away because <laughs> nobody wanted it. Um, and like you said, the backlash from the community was huge when they made the announcement. I remember seeing it on Instagram the day that they announced that they were buying out. And within a day or two of that, the North Carolina Craft Brewers Guild actually rescinded their voting rights um, within the craft beer community. Wow. And they're now on untapped labeled as a macro brewery yeah, based out of Asheville and a subsidiary of Anheuser-Busch. So even with this buyout, they're still not available everywhere, but they are capable of being everywhere. Uh, currently, they're distributed in California, Colorado, Texas, Louisiana, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, D.C., Maryland, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts. Um, that's what I could find on their site. However, because they're they're part of the InBev family, they can literally be anywhere. Um, their current brewing capacity, they claim, is 50,000 barrels at their main facility, uh, and then 50 barrels at the Funkatorium, which we'll get to in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are annual capacities, but they're part of the InBev family. And the way InBev does this, they have almost unlimited capacity for uh, brewing beer. Um, the way InBev tends to buy people out, um, they'll buy them, take one of the recipes or a few of the recipes that are now the flagship beer for that sub-brand and brew them at their facilities in Fort Collins, St. Louis, uh, New Jersey, all over the country. So the brewers that are bought out never have to make their original beer or whatever their flagship beer is for that sub-brand again. So, for example, Goose Island, they have the Honkers Ale and the IPA. They don't brew those in Chicago anymore. They have no need to. They don't care about it. They send them off. They send the recipes off. And then the product is the same coming out of all the the uh, uh, the Anheuser-Busch breweries, which is nice. Quality control is great. But you do lose some of that autonomy. That beer is now everywhere. Yeah. And some people would argue that with that high scale of production, you lose some control over the quality of it. Well, I don't disagree with that. I would argue at least, you know, they're all going to be the same. They may may not be the original recipe (laughs) now, but they're all going to taste the same. That's true. And Wicked Weed, uh, with their beer program, their portfolio, they have 88 current beers that they brew. This their year. website, yeah, their <laughs> website listed and said that they've brewed more than 500 different beers since they have been open. And that was as of 2017 with one of the founders stating they expected to hit the 1000 beer mark sometime in the near future. Um, they do have a huge sour portfolio. We mentioned the Funkatorium, which deals solely in their sour beers. Mm-hmm. And that's where you find all of their sours in Asheville. Their sour portfolio includes series such as the Angel series, which is, I think, I believe, Golden Angel, White Angel, Red Angel, and Black Angel. Black Angel will be tasting here a little bit later. They also have a Canvas series, the Firm series, and others that they'll do one-off uh, mm-hmm. sours or ones that they produce year-round. 
And these beers typically have bottle releases, at least the Angels do, at the brew pub, at the Funkatorium. People would line up for hours and hours and hours to buy a case. They would limit what you could buy, just like a lot of other breweries do. But now that they've been bought out, it's kind of interesting. I've heard guys say that the sour bottle releases are nowhere near as big. Mm -hmm. Used to be able to hardly find this stuff anywhere. And now I think one of our local bottle shops was actually able to get a keg of one of the angels, which was unheard of because they can't get rid of them anymore. Oh, wow. Uh, due to the backlash, a lot of people just quit asking for it, quit wanting it. And now you can, if you ask the guys who distribute for wicked weed, they can get you whatever they want because yeah. it's kind of become a taboo thing for a lot of craft shops to carry it. And that variety is the reason for, for the um, backlash they made a very unique beer. Uh, it was uh, so much variety, so many variations, so much different, so many different things in their beer. That's what made them unique. That's what made them great. This year, I mean, even after they've been bought out, they are still making 88 different beers this year. That is unheard of from most brewers. Most brewers make, you know, in the 20 or so different varieties a year. Mm -hmm. But because of their selling out, I mean, that's why they had such a neg negative re reaction to the community. The community loved what they were producing, and the community saw that as a, um, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Slap in the face? Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that's, that's one way to put it. Yeah. As far as their current beers, some year rounds that you'll find in a lot of these are from InBev now, produced by Anheuser-Busch. Lunatic Blonde, which we'll be trying later. Napoleon Complex, which is a hoppy pale ale, pernicious IPA, freak of nature, cool cumber, hop coca, and there's a new one that they have out called Astronomical IPA. I had it a couple of weeks ago, but it wasn't, I mean, it's kind of like a middle of the road, mm -hmm. slightly fruit forward IPA for me, but that's one that they're releasing into. And there's another one called Bedeviled, which is a Belgian-style L, and I'm not 100% sure if that's a year-round or not, but I you do see, see it enough. in cans yeah. like Lunatic. Um, special releases, there's entirely too many to name, but some of the highlights for their special releases throughout the year would be Shabobo, which is their pumpkin beer mm -hmm. for the fall, an old-fashioned... Which tastes like an old-fashioned. They do a good job. It's a barrel-aged, it's like a cherry beer. I don't know. It's good. We have French toast, which is uh, brewed with maple syrup, cinnamon. It's supposed to taste like French toast. There's also a barrel aged version of that one. Uh, milk and cookies, hot burglar, the iron lady, which is, I believe a dark ale or a black IPA. I'm trying to remember. I've had it a couple of times. Mm -hmm. El Parisio, which is a, I believe that is a chocolate, it's a and coffee stout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a got cocoa nibs. Tyranny, which is a red ale. Tyrant, which is a imperial red ale, mm -hmm. and then Dark Age. Um, special or bottle releases at the brewery for some of the sours, like we mentioned before as well. But like I said, the list goes on and on for that. So yeah. those were just some of the main ones that they release. Yeah. So we've sort of we've really been talking about you know how they sell out, how they sold out to InBev. InBev is not the only large uh, company buying up breweries or uh, creating these uh, Miller Coors has a small portfolio as well. Um, <clears throat> and then there's other groups like the Craft Brewers Alliance, 
which is technically independent, but they do something similar to what InBev does, uh, just on a much smaller scale. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to talk about that a little bit in this episode, really what this means for the breweries and what this means for the consumers. Yeah. So according to the Brewers Association statistics, which they released, craft brewers had $23.5 billion in sales in 2016. That's a whopping 21.9% of the U.S. beer market alone in craft breweries. So that's almost a quarter of the market is dominated by craft brewing. The Craft Brewers Association estimates that by buying craft breweries, large corporations reduce the amount of craft beer by 1.2 million barrels being lost. That's that's a lot. Uh I mean, some companies probably make that up. Stone, for example, with their expansion plans, a lot of the West Coast breweries that are opening uh, things in the East are probably going to make that up in the long term. But the short term, it's a big loss. Um, And it does create problems, but it does provide benefits for the brewers that get bought out. Um, In an interview with the Goose Island president and the Elysian president, they talked about the the good things that happened um, and the not so good things. Not so good things for them as brewers is they lose control of that recipe. It's gone. Um, The good thing for them is they don't have to ever make that beer again because they don't have to worry about it. Um, And they also get access to resources from InBev. InBev does not pull what Guinness does in Ireland. They don't buy up a brewer to shut them down. That's the whole, what's one of Guinness's strategies to maintain their monopoly on the beer market in Ireland. What they do is they encourage those brewers to continue brewing in small batches at their main facilities. And if they have new beers that are good, that can be uh, palatable and I guess sent around the country, they'll add those to their, to the InBev portion of the portfolio. They do give access to a lot of resources. I know the Goose Island president in particular was very um, gung-ho to mention that InBev owns a mountain for hops. So none of the InBev companies that are part of the big, the bigger brand, none of the brands, are using hops that people generally buy. They're not affecting the hop market because they're just using this one mountain. And if they want to use a unique hop variety, InBev will grow it for them. That's great. Awesome. It's good for the consumer, you could argue, because now the consumers have more access to beers in different parts of the country. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of, I, I see the point in that it gives you a wider market. It introduces your beer to more people. Mm-hmm. It's allowing you to focus on maybe more specialty stuff. I know Goose Island, like you mentioned, with the Bourbon County brand stouts, the mm-hmm. sister beers that they brew, like Lolita and that kind of beer. It just, you know, at what point is is selling out worth the price as far as the backlash from the community? And I right. think Wicked Weed is still trying to figure that one out. It's been just that two years since they sold out, and I would be interested to see is it two years it's only been one year one year oh <laughs> i thought it was 2016 no they sold out in 17 17 mm-hmm. it was about a year it was maybe 15 16 months ago that's right mm-hmm. that's right okay yep you're right but i would be interested to see what the difference in their foot traffic mm-hmm. at the brew pub has been because you used to go to Asheville, and that place was packed mm-hmm all day, every day. It doesn't help them that Asheville has, we talked about this last week, 40 different breweries. So if you don't like Wicked Weed, you have options. Yeah, and they were kind of seen, <laughs> I know we mentioned that Highlands last episode is like the OG Asheville brewery, but Wicked Weed was seen as like the Mecca yeah. brewery 
in Asheville. And when they sold out, I think that really just hurt a lot of the craft brewers in Asheville that really looked up to Wicked Weed. And I actually Mm -hmm. even saw a couple of photos. They hold a annual sour Mm -hmm. festival on the Wicked Weed Invitational. And there were pictures of certain breweries breaking open the barrels of the sours they were making for that invitation oh. and letting them spill on the ground because they were so upset over um, Wicked Weed's decision. Don't don't get upset over spilled beer. Come <laughs> yeah, you on. Just could but, have, uh, yeah, you, you could, just could have bottled that and given it <laughs> stuff, let us drink it. <laughs> I would have taken one of those kegs. I would have found a way to make that work. Um, but selling out is not just a unique thing that happens with um, these larger breweries like InBev and Miller Coors. They're not the only ones buying up folks. We talked about Craft Brew Alliance. We mentioned that briefly, and we'll go into more depth about that that group later because that's a very interesting story. Um, but other, I guess, craft brewers like Oscar Blues are out buying small groups like Cigar City, and they're doing the same thing. Yeah. So is it really something we can judge them for? As long as InBev and Miller Coors, I guess, as long as our corporate overlords are nice, I don't mind our corp- corporate overlords. That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> Well, so you raise a good point there. You know, you have other breweries like Oscar Blues buying Cigar City down in Tampa, Florida, specifically for their highlight beer, but to send it out over the country. So Cigar City is now anywhere that Oscar Blues is distributed, which is good for them. At what point are you considered, are you too big to be considered a craft brewery? And that brings to mind people like Oscar Blues, Stone Brewing, which now has a West Coast brewery, one in Richmond, Virginia, and now Stone Berlin. Right. Sam Adams, which is considered to kind of be maybe the godfather of craft brewing and home brewing, Sierra Nevada and New Belgium and others. And we'll touch on a lot of those breweries in later episodes as we highlight them. Yeah. So, yeah, that really does bring the point. What time? At what point are you no longer a craft brewery? And the, all, the biggest concern, of course, whenever you sell out is, are those companies going to pull a Guinness? Is... Anheuser-Busch is going to say, you know what, we're tired of the craft these craft breweries that we own uh, competing with Bud Light because we all know what a fantastic product Bud Light is. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're tired of them stealing our frat market. So, um, so we're just going to shut them down. And that would be the biggest loss to the craft beer community. Um, there's over 6,000 craft, craft breweries in the U.S. alone. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. But some of them, not all of them are commonplace and known we have a bunch in our own city of greensboro that you can't get outside of greensboro because they've made decisions not to bottle yeah they've made decisions that they are a brew pub in stop and that's pretty consistent common for Mm -hmm. a lot of um craft brewers they don't want to get big they don't want to get bigger and then you have groups like new belgium and stone and um, and uh i guess yeah new belgium stone oscar blues they made a decision they want to be big they want to be distributed they want to be all over the country and potentially all over the world. Yeah. And that I think part of that argument comes down to distribution. Mm-hmm. Signing these distribution agreements. I know there's been news within the last year or so. There's actually a brewery in Raleigh um, in our home state of North Carolina called Beer Army. And it shut down because it got into a kind of like predatory distribution agreement where they couldn't keep up with the distributor's demands and the distributor started leaving them out of locations where they wouldn't put beer armies beer in certain stores because 
they said it wasn't popular enough. Well, you can't get the exposure if you're not getting put in the stores. And so ultimately that caused Beer Army to file for bankruptcy and he shut the entire brewery down. Um, Burial, I know, which is another Asheville-based brewery that is fairly popular and we'll do an episode on them sometime in the future. They had a distributor um, spat with uh, their distributor and they pulled out of distributing into South Carolina entirely last year. Um, It was something in the agreement, I believe, if I can remember the article correctly, that said wherever that distributor was in South Carolina gave them the right to demand burial to provide them beer to put it in any place they distributed to. So burial had no say so over where their beer went, and it meant that they would have to brew way more beer to -hmm. supply this distributor. So the distributor is essentially getting to dictate how much beer you make and where it goes. And if you're if you're a crapper and you believe in trying out your craft and trying new things, you can't really do that if you've got demand for I don't know one IPA or one one or two beers because you need to convert all of your equipment to brewing that to meet that demand. Um, and distribution is a weird uh, thing. North Carolina has some odd distribution laws. Um, yeah, we do. But it hasn't stopped our craft brewers. Thank goodness. No. All right. Well, I think that may be enough. Um, Enough of our ranting about uh, selling out. Yeah, I could probably go on <laughs> about selling out for hours on end because I have extremely strong feelings about that, as do you. Yeah, we, we're in, in agreement. We, I just don't have as strong of feelings as Travis. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll just leave it there for now, and we'll move on at this point to the tasting portion of the episode for some of Wicked Weed's beers. All right. <laughs> Have you ever wondered how you could join the Brew News crew? We'll swing over to patreon.com slash brewnewspod and you can join us. We have three different tiers for all of our patrons. At the logger level, you earn early access to all of our podcast episodes. At the IPA level, you get early access to our podcast episodes, but you get special weekly beer tastings that are done by various members of the crew. And you get special video presentations, including our Beer Miss Special. At the stout level, you get everything you get at the IPA level, but you also get to appear on one episode of the Brew News Pod, and when we have some swag, we'll send some your way. So feel free to swing over to patreon.com slash brewnewspod. That again is patreon.com slash brewnewspod, and join the crew. All right, so the first beer we have from Wicked Weed is the Lunatic Blondale. It is a Belgian-style Blondale, which is quite tasty. Uh, well, smells good at least. Um, it's a golden blonde, 6.5% alcohol, 21 IBUs. It's uses Belgian noble hops and a Belgian yeast. Uh, it's, they say it has a spicy clove aroma and biscuit-like flavor. That's the way they des- that uh, Wicked Weed describes it. Yeah, I'm definitely getting the yeast and the clove. It it smells like a typical Belgian blonde, but yeah, you definitely get the clove on the nose there. <sighs> As long as I don't smell like a typical Belgian blonde, I'm usually in good shape. But yeah, you get the clove, definitely smell that Belgian yeast, but I don't, mm-hmm. I mean, it's good. Yeah, I mean, I don't get the, I kind of get the biscuit a little bit there. The clove is stronger actually on the taste than it was on the nose to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Belgian yeast is nice. It's, I'm a fan of Belgian L's typically anyway, so this is kind of up my alley, but. Yeah, I prefer my Belgians to be a little darker, a little heavier in alcohol. Double, mm-hmm. triples, quads are more my thing than singles. But 
Um, yeah, it's nice. It's it's light, it's refreshing. Yeah, this is not a bad hot day beer, and this is actually, I think, one of my mother-in-law's favorite beers that she drinks. <laughs> well, today is a hot day, so this is a good beer for today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so moving on from the Lunatic Blonde, we are on Napoleon Complex. And before we really get into the beer, I do want to talk about the, the can art. Wicked Weed does a fantastic job with their can art. I particularly enjoy the Napoleon Complex. It's got this beautiful green um, hop imagery mixed in with this little tiny demonic Napoleon on the front. So I think it's a really cool, this one in particular, but I just, I do like their can art. Yeah, they do. Unfortunately, I have to give them credit. They do do a very (laughs) good job with their can art and their bottle art Mm -hmm. on all of their series. Um, and that's actually the artwork is something that you'll see even in their brew pub. If you go, there's all kinds of, I'd call it hop art because they just use hops as characters and mm-hmm. create things out of just a hop shape that are pretty interesting. But yeah, it's pretty cool. All right. So we're on the Napoleon complex now and it is exactly like it says. It's a small beer, but it has a big, big nose. Yeah, they label this beer as having little beer, big flavor, even bigger ego. <laughs> uh, interesting, this is an American pale ale, a fairly hoppy American pale ale, mm-hmm. but it was previously listed as a session IPA on Untapped before they, I guess Wicked Weed, renamed it as an American pale ale. Comes in at 5.2% alcohol, 47 IBUs, so not very bitter for a hoppy pale ale, but the nose is... Pretty good. Very. You can tell it's hoppy from the from the start, and it's a blend too. It's clearly not all mosaic. It's not all uh, centennial. It's nothing in particular. It's just a nice blend of hops. Yeah. So as you drink that one, to me at least, I'm getting a little more pepper. Mm-hmm. It starts off peppery, and now it's finishing slightly more orange peel. Um, a little more of that pith that we mentioned in the last episode with the Mandarina IPA from Highlands. This is kind of that same like orange zest, orange peel mm-hmm. finish to that pepper start. It does have, yeah, I'll give you the pepper. I can, I can taste that. Um, the citrus is not defined. It's citrus, but it's not a defined citrus. Like some, like the, uh, I think it was the Mandarina last week where you could taste the lemon, just mm-hmm. randomly lemon. Um, I don't taste anything in particular. Like it's not overly orange. It's not grapefruit. It's not really what I'm expecting, but it does. It's clearly citrus of some sort. Yeah, this is a this is a pretty good representation of a hoppy pale ale, and this so. is again one of the ones the lunatic was as well. I don't know if we mentioned that. These are some of the beers that Inbev specifically bought Wicked Weed for that they now produce and can year round. Yeah. All right, so we're going to move on to our next beer. All right, so our next beer is Pernicious IPA, which is arguably, I guess, their Wicked Weed's flagship IPA. It's one of the beers that they're most well-known for. Yeah, this and Freak of Nature are the two that I always associate with Wicked Weed, that and Weird Sours. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It was previously named the Eastside or Die IPA. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know they just changed the name on that. Okay, I've never seen the East Side or Die. I don't remember it being that. I'd had the East Side or Die. I just thought they got rid of it. I never made the connection that it was pernicious. (laughs) (laughs) 
Learned something new today. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so this is a West Coast style IPA clocking in at 7.3% alcohol, 70 IBUs. So we're getting fairly bitter mm -hmm. up here on this one. Um, like you said, it's kind of actually skunky on the nose a mm -hmm. little bit. It's uh, They describe it perfectly as having minimum malt complexity. This is just really highlighting hops in this one. It's notes are supposed to be juicy, tropical, fruit forward, and resinous. And that's probably where the skunk, the resinous is going to be what you attribute to the skunk right. profile. It's not like the Highland uh, AVL. Uh, it doesn't have all that dank in it. It's got some, It's but it's not as dank as the last as the AVL from Highland. It's it's good. It's a good IPA. It's got a nice. I, got, I think it's got a nice flavor to it. Nice effervescence. Feels good in the mouth. Yeah, need points for using the word mouthfeel. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little peppery um, as far as the hops go. It's more like I said. It is resinous. It's but complex. Not, yeah, it's not piney though. It's resinous, no. but not piney. Um, but it, yeah, it's a nice little IPA. Um, if this was the only IPA you drank, you'd probably you'd know if you like the style. Yeah, and if you love a good hoppy IPA, this is going to be right up your alley. It is um, definitely hoppy. If you don't like hoppy beers, avoid this one. Yeah, if you don't like hoppy beers, avoid a lot of the IPAs that Wicked Weed produces because they really. Pound that in, and the, it really shows on the next one as well. Yes. So uh, let's move on to the next beer in our list. Go. So the next beer in our lineup for the tasting portion of the show is Freak of Nature, which is a double slash imperial IPA. Um, it comes in at 8.5% alcohol, and they listed it at 100 IBUs, but they said, honestly, there's no telling where the IBUs lie. <laughs> the max they could put was 100, so they did. This is Wicked Weed's flagship double IPA that you see everywhere. It comes in 22-ounce bombers, or not really a bomber. It's a more of a... It's like a... It's, a, it's bigger than a pint, but smaller than a bomber. <laughs> yeah, so one of those it's weird bottles. like an 18-ounce thing. Yeah, like an 18-ounce one. So um, this is West Coast style again. Um, it's not nearly as... Um, dank on the nose i'll give it that it's a little drier they say that it's uh what citrusy weedy nose i don't get the citrus you might um uh, it's kind of kind of hiding in the background there yeah definitely i don't pick up the weedy part if they're talking about hops i, I think they're missing the mark if they're talking about like grass and plants maybe yeah like m maybe a little more herbaceous yeah than weedy <laughs> Um, interesting fact about this one, they say it's dry hopped with 48 pounds of hops per batch, which essentially equates to over three pounds per barrel. It's a little bit of hops there. Yeah, just a little bit. So. First thing I notice when it hits the palate is it coats my mouth, like the whole thing. It just. It, yeah, this is a little more. Um, it's a little thicker yeah. than the pernicious, which comes as you start to get into the doubles and mm -hmm. the, the triples. Because of the double, it is sweet. Um, to, to me, it's very sweet. Mm -hmm. um, it, I don't get the bitterness, though. I'm not sure where... Mind you, I'm also not sure how people calculate IBUs, but to me, this is not the bitterest beer. Pernicious, to me, is more bitter. Yeah, the, it, I think it. the IBUs are up there, and I think that bitterness may 
come off of the fruit. There's not a lot of fruit in here, but mm-hmm. it, you know, you kind of get that citrusy background. Yeah. To me, it's more floral and piney than it is citrusy, and that's it. Kind of comes through more in the taste than in the nose. Yeah. Freak of Nature is one of those at eight point five percent. is not bad for a double. Right. To me, it's only just over a percent higher than pernicious which is the single but this is a pretty good drinking Mm -hmm. double ipa and another fun fact wicked weed makes a version of this called the gluten freak which is brewed to with reduced gluten content for people who have a gluten intolerance or just avoiding gluten for some reason Hmm. yeah we haven't seen it in a while but on their website they are still claiming that they make it so i'm sure they are all right, so we'll move on to the, uh, the more sour portion of this tasting. All right, so like we talked about before, Wicked Ween is known for two things these days. Well, three things, really. Selling out, IPAs, and sour beers. And so we've got some sours. And if Travis's French is correct, we are drinking... Filet de ferme, which uh, that was two years of high school French almost... <laughs> Uh, 11 years ago, so who knows if that's correct anymore or not. Nailed it. Uh, okay, so this is a Saison Farmhouse Ale. Um, it's low alcohol, of course. It's uh, 4.2%, 20 IBUs. Uh, used to be part of the Canvas series, and it is it's brewed with Brettiromyces. Wow, I can't talk. Brett. Yes, we'll call it Brett. Brewed with Brett. Funny story. So the first time I saw a beer was brewed with Brett. It was at a flytrap brewery down in Wilmington and on this board, they had all these beers and they said um, something with Brett that were coming soon. It was like uh, IPA with Brett and all these things with Brett. So I walked up to the bartender and I said, who is Brett <laughs> and why does he have all the beer? <laughs> why does this guy brewing all of your beer? Like you just make him a brewer. Like what's Brett up to? And he's like, Oh, Brett uh, is a, uh, is a yeast. Ring. I was like, Oh, Oh, that makes more sense now. <laughs> Right. Yeah, so this is a um, is typical farmhouse on the nose, the mm-hmm. saison type characteristics. A little bit of funk. It's a little yeasty. Mm-hmm. You get that I mean, farmhouse patch. funk is the best <laughs> way to describe it. It hits for me. It hits the mouth like a sour patch kid does, and that would be a, a lot of. Um, I think it's acetic acid that does that, um, but that's due to the yeast. That's due to the bread. Um, you can thank Brett for that. Uh, it's definitely tart. Um, I'm not usually a huge fan of farmhouse ales, but this one's a good one. Yeah, I I kind of tend to like the farmhouse saison style a little more than most people. Um, I have a very hard time getting others to drink it with me. It's a it's definitely sometimes an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. This farmhouse is brewed with honeysuckle and orange zest, and then it is photo rested with Brett and it is an homage to the Belgian style farm beers that used to be popular where just every Belgian farmer had their own kind of house style beer. Um, For this, uh, you're right. It is kind of the tartness is right up front and then it kind of fades away Mm -hmm. fairly quickly in my opinion. Yeah. And if you know anything about old Belgian style, a lot of old Belgian style is open air fermentation. I don't think they're doing that here. No, but you do get because of that, using Brett, you get a lot of more um, unique tones that you wouldn't pick up on any, in a normal beer. Mm-hmm. And the honey is suckle and orange zest kind of are very light. They're not overpowering. So this is a very easily drinkable mm-hmm. 
farmhouse saison. This is something like you said, if you're not really into saison farmhouses, this would be an easy transition into that style. It is good. Good for the style. All right. We've got one more for you guys. So the last beer we have for you today in the tasting portion of the episode is Black Angel, which is part of Wicked Weed's Angel series, which we touched on earlier. It mm-hmm. contains Black Angel, White Angel, Red Angel, and Golden Angel, I believe. I think that's all of them. I can't remember. Uh, this is an American Wild Air, uh, Wild Ale. I'm sorry, <laughs> Wild Air. Yes. <laughs> Um, it's aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels on tart cherries, barreled for five to 12 months, and then blended according to the vintage. Of course. Um, it's moderate high alcohol, 6.6%, and it's very low IB. It's about 16. And the, before I even get the glass to my face, it's cherries. Yeah. It's, it's is, tart cherries. <laughs> it's fairly dark. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess Black Angel is an appropriate name for the beer. It's... Uh, pretty opaque it almost if you weren't smelling it it kind of looks like a porter mm-hmm. in your glass that yeah porter is definitely it's not got the thickness of a stout but you think it's a porter like more like a dark ale i guess like any dark ale um and it is black it's not a nice brown color it's black um, but man those cherries whoo um yeah wow <laughs> that one this is actually my first time having black angel and that just drew me up a little bit when i drink that right there um yeah yeah those cherries get you that is definitely got a pretty good pucker factor yeah i don't really get the bourbon I, as much as i thought i would i don't taste any vanilla which is usually my my hint that there's bourbon in there bourbon barrels um i think the cherries just mask everything <clears throat> Yeah, they kind of, the cherries are the strongest one by far. I think kind of as it's fading away, I might be getting, I don't know if that's kind of a funk or the oakiness of the barrels fighting with the cherries a little bit. I don't know. I don't, I don't pick up any oak, but then again, (laughs) I mean, it's, it's a, what somebody described to me once is you can't drink somebody else's palate. That's true. Yeah, there's no, there's no, to me, there's no oak there. It's cherries. It's a tart cherry ale. It's Mm -hmm. a good tart cherry ale, but it is a tart cherry ale. Um, You really don't want to drink anything after that because you will not taste anything but tart cherries. Hence why we saved this one for last. Yes. (laughs) It's, it is the darkest beer, but it's not dark like a typical dark beer. All right. So any final thoughts on Wicked Weed as we start to wrap up here? Um. Wicked Weed, there's good things and bad things. They have such a nice variety, and they, they're they still brewing a lot of unique beers. So it's it's fun to try. It's a good thing to have. It's not something I'm going to keep in my kitchen, though. It's not something I'm keeping in my fridge all the time. Part of that's because they sold out. I mean, there's a lot of good and bad here. Uh, the beers are good. They still have good quality. Uh, I'm not knocking what they make and what they produce. It's sort of how they got there. Yeah, it, for me, it's kind of... I loved Wicked Weed, and I think part of my feelings on the sellout is because I was so upset when I saw them selling out, and a lot of their beer, I refuse to buy it in the stores really anymore. Um, You know, I don't, if somebody's got it, like, I won't turn pernicious down, but I'm not actively seeking out of my way. I'll go buy another beer just to support a craft brewer, but 
Wicked Weed, they do have good stuff. Their brewery, if you've never been, if you're planning a trip to Asheville to go, definitely hit it up. Uh, they have a lot of variants at the mm-hmm. brew pub that you can't get outside of the brew pub. Um, the Funkatorium, if you're into sours, you have, you to, have to go to the Funkatorium yeah. um, to do that and to see it and experience it. And like I said, in Nashville, there's so many breweries. If You can throw a rock and hit four. So Yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, the Funkatorium is across the street from one of my favorite Asheville brewery, breweries, Twin Leaf. So if you go to the Funkatorium, get a beer, have the experience – and then if you're not into, if you don't want to support InBev anymore, walk across to an independent craft brewer across the street. <laughs> yeah. If you're tired of Twin Leaf, you can go down the block to Green Man, to, to high, high Wire. I mean, there's so many breweries in Asheville. But I do think the Funkatorium, if you like sours or you don't know anything about sours, go. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fun, fun place to be, to try. And then. Yeah. I mean, it's worth a stop. And as a side note, the Wicked Weed Brew Pub does have pretty good food yeah we, i've eaten there a few times so if you need lunch it's also not a bad place to stop and grab a bite to eat as well as a drink so very true all I, right i think well, that about wraps it up wraps up wicked weed thank you for joining us as we explored wicked weed brewing if you enjoyed the show please take a moment to subscribe and give us a rating in whichever app you found us on we value your feedback and it also helps the show reach more viewers If you have any thoughts or suggestions for future breweries or are with a brewery and would like to join us, feel free to tweet at or follow us on Twitter at brew underscore news. You can follow us on untapped Travis's Mather Nuts and I am Tuba Steve. We're on Instagram at brew news pod, B-R-E-W-N-E-W-S-P-O-D. And you can visit our website, www.brewnewspod.com, where we post our tasting and episode notes. Finally, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week to look at Foothills Brewing. See See you later. later.